Mad World Podcast number 361 for June 26, 2013. Welcome to another Macro Podcast. I'm Chris Breen. To kids across the land, school is out for summer, unless you're south of the equator, in which case, winter and maybe you're not out. Still, there are reasons to think about education and Apple during these months. Kids forget what they've learned in the previous nine months, and in order for them to be not completely mind-numbed, you want to do a few things to exercise the little gray cells. Use an iOS device, for example, to educate while also entertaining. And that's what we have to talk about today. Let's get to it. I'm joined by Sholly Sawyer-McFarland and Joel Mathis to talk about kids' education and Apple technology. Welcome, you two. Hi. Sholly, school just let out a couple of weeks ago, so this seems like kind of an odd time to be talking about kids and iOS devices, because they're all outside, you know, playing in the dirt and whatever kids do during the summer. So why exactly are we talking about education and iOS and Apple now? Well, Chris, in fact, while the kids are out playing in the yard, off in the woods, when they come home, they have no homework. So what do they do then but play on their iPad or their other iOS devices? So that's why we thought this would be uh, a great time to give parents some tools so that they know how to set up an iPad for their kids and also what good educational apps they can put on the iPad so that kids uh, can still be learning during the summer months when a lot of kids lose a lot of the skills that they just learned last year. Yeah, now you, you, I know we've talked in the past about something that you call summer brain drain, and maybe this is a real term somewhere. It is. But what exactly is, <laughs> yeah, well, what is it? Well, a lot of studies show that kids lose about two months worth of learning every summer, um, and that the beginning of the school year is when, instead of learning new skills, uh, teachers have to help the kids regain what they lost. And especially with kids that don't have the opportunity to do really stimulating summer activities, go, go to camps um, that have an educational aspect to them or just camps that where they're learning something new of any type, um, those kids really can start off behind when they go back to school. So every year around this time of year, not just Macworld, but many other websites um, and newspapers always have a bunch of summer brain drain stories for parents who are looking for a way to to help their kids not fall behind during the summer months. Okay. Well, you recently offered up a uh, video about making iOS devices safe for kids. So you can pass along some advice for parents who are concerned about handing an iPad or an iOS device to their kids in the backseat of the car? Yeah, uh, I think most parents really have no clue what they can do to make their their iPads more kid-friendly. Um, just like a lot of people don't even know that there's stuff that they can do for their Macs to set them up so they'll be more appropriate for kids. So um, what the video I did talks about is just some of the basic restrictions you can put on your iPad um, that you can use depending on what you're worried about when your kid is using the iPad. So, for instance, if you've got a really little kid, you're probably not so worried about them stumbling onto inappropriate content. You may be more worried that they're just going to delete all your apps 
or add things um, just by accident. So using the basic parental controls on the iOS device, you can turn off, for example, the ability to add, to install and delete apps. So that's just a really simple thing that you can do, which can prevent a lot of chaos with the iPad. Right. Now, Joel, you've got you've got a young child, right? Yeah, he's four, about to turn five. Okay. Do you use iOS devices at all with him? Yeah, actually, it. Uh, I think it was stunning to us because I mean, he he was born about the same time the first iPhone came out, and it was really striking to us how naturally he 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 took to this. That like when he was eighteen months old, he he figured out how to use the Netflix. <laughs> app on my on my iPad, so it, it, that was a little scary that he was just so fluent in that kind of computer language um, so early in his life, where you know that that wasn't something that was available to us. Um, yeah, and he and it's it's something that we've kind of we keep a close eye on because I think he can uh, use it to the exclusion of doing anything else in his life, um, but uh, it's also been a pretty handy tool at times too. So do you do anything to protect him from content or you just supervise him all the time that he's using it? Uh, don't, you know, sometimes I'll let him do it in his room, but, I, you know, I check in on him every few minutes. Um, uh, there's an iPad that we have that's kind of gone out of, of use between me and my wife that it would just, it, since I replaced it with an iPad mini. Um, and I did exactly what Shali said. I, I uh, made sure that he could not download or buy or make any in-app purchases um, on there because I didn't want to find myself with a hundred dollars worth of <laughs> iTunes bill um, unexpectedly one day. Um, I'm not even sure he knows how to to do that honestly, but uh, I, it was it was kind of one of those better safe than sorry things. I have had had the experience of finding apps missing or finding uh, documents on my iPad um, with additions, unwanted additions and subtractions too. So. Um, one of the things, you know, I've, I've tried to make sure that this iPad's kind of devoted to him and only has things that he wants and doesn't have anything that's going to interfere with my stuff. But that's that's because we have the extra iPad and so we don't have to share it so much. That, may, that makes it easier for us, admittedly. What about physically protecting the iPad? Do you put any kind of case on it in case it gets knocked over by him? Or I wish I had. Um, the, the the iPad that's his actually um, has... Uh, I remember when you uh, cracked the bezel on your iPad... Um, about yeah, a year ago, yeah. um, I've got a it's it's got a nice little chunk out of the bezel on on the because he would whenever we would give him the iPad when he was a little younger, you know, he's only he, when he was three, he would run to you and then he would run away to go to be with it. Well, he was he was a little faster than uh, what he should have been, and he just slammed that to the floor a couple times. The iPad is remarkably sturdy considering, but. Yeah, there there are a couple of chunks of bezel missing from the iPad as a result. So, yeah, probably should have uh, uh, used a case where he was concerned. Right, Charlie, have your kids uh, damaged any of your devices? Uh, my kids have been surprisingly gentle with our with all of our devices. Uh, we have a lot of rules about you don't drop the iPad, you know, you don't run with it. You have to be sitting down. Um, mostly, they get them dirty. But uh, luckily, the iPad cleans up so easily. There's not that many nooks and crannies in it. So that hasn't been that big of a deal. I found that to be the case with my daughter as well. Is She has her own iPod Touch now because she's old enough. Um, but whenever she touches any of my iOS stuff, I get it back. And it can be like a minute later. And I've never seen such a smudged device in my entire fingerprints life. Fingerprints everywhere. Everywhere fingerprints. Yeah. 
<laughs> I think they generate some kind of stickiness because I immediately go and look at her hands <laughs> and they're perfectly clean and yet my iPad is just gunky and I go, what did what did you put on here? And like nothing. So I think they ooze this. She she cleaned. <laughs> she cleaned her hands on my. Well, apparently Chris. it's a it's a cleaning surface as well for young children. So, <laughs> I guess, yeah, they can certainly do that. Um, Charlie, I want to ask you a little bit about Safari and iOS devices. Sure. You talked about being able to disable apps and and allow them to you know not allow them to uh, take apps off or add them. But what about Safari? I mean, they don't really give you much fine control over it. Either it's on or off. So what do you do? There is so little fine-tuning you can do with Safari, but I find that um, turning it off is, for my kids, a little too much because they do want to look things up on the Internet. Um, if I had very little kids, I would do that. I would just turn it off. But um, that's not a solution. I, with, I have a 5- and a 9-year-old for them. So what I've done is I've tried to um, primarily focus on Google. And if you go to Google.com and click on the gear icon that you'll see at the right-hand corner of it, you have search settings. And there you can adjust Google's safe search filters. And this is a small thing, but a pretty critical thing that you can do. If you set the search uh, safe search filters to their highest level, that will filter out sexually explicit videos and images from search results. And they stick as long as you click save. Uh, if you had an older kid who wanted to get around them, he or she could, uh, unless you associate a Google account with your device. That's the only way you can lock it. But if you have a younger kid who's not actively seeking to get around the restrictions you put on uh, your device, this will help kids not just stumble on stuff, which is really easy to do with when you're using Google. Even an innocent word can turn up all sorts of stuff. So I make sure that the that the safe search filters are on. I think that's a really good tip because my daughter stumbled on something and she was kind of creeped out by it. I don't know exactly what it was because she was so embarrassed that she wouldn't tell me about <laughs> it. But she just said, you know, Dad, I was doing this and I saw this picture and I just thought, oh, my God, what yeah. might that be? And I didn't even <laughs> want to guess. But um, I think it wasn't that long ago, so I immediately turned on Safe Search for exactly that reason. Yeah. In the hope to, that she wouldn't stumble on anything. Um, and she hasn't. It really, I think it really helps. Yeah. And, Joel, you probably don't, your kid probably isn't surfing the net, I hope, at this tender age. No, he, he's, he, he's more interested in, in kind of the educational apps, and he, the very narrowly focused stuff, or, or watching as many cartoons on Netflix uh, as he possibly can. But no, he's, he's not quite in that exploring um, phase of things yet. If you, if you show him something that's cool, he will probably stick with that cool thing for a while. Right. So what do you guys think? Do you think Apple is doing enough to protect kids from unsavory content? I think that the parental controls could have more fine-tuning. But if I want to complain about someone who's not doing enough to help parents, I have to say it's Netflix. Netflix is something that I think a lot of people use on their iPads and a lot of people use for kids on their iPads because you have all this great all these great kids shows and you know that's something your kids can do when you're taking a road trip or you know there's so there's so much use for Netflix for kids on the iPad but Netflix Netflix offers really terrible parental controls um, 
you can set them now, so that's more than you used to be able to do when there were none. But uh, you can't you can't unset them or adjust them very easily. You have to set them on a computer. You can't do it on the device, and then it can take up to eight hours for changes to go into effect. So if you're sharing your iPad, you really can't turn on parental controls or else you will you will not be able to see anything yourself. And that seems such a clunky way to do parental controls. And I, I think it's just been a lot of time that Netflix has had to offer uh, parents something better, and they really haven't. It'd be nice if they, they, yeah, they that, could offer a, like a separate app for kids, in fact, just something like that, because they, certainly yeah. they've got enough mm-hmm. programming and they, they do well enough with children's programming, apparently, um, based on some of the, the, the deals they've signed recently. Um, that that's a lucrative enough market on its own for them that I don't see why they wouldn't just be able to separate that out as kind of a, a separate but related product and make it a little easier on parents. Well, I wish they would. I think that... Um I think you're right. I routinely hear about parents saying, oh, Netflix is the greatest thing on an iOS device. But, and then basically they have to hobble that device so they can't watch the stuff they want to watch because of this clumsy way that Netflix does this. Um, so let's all hope that they're listening in and, and thought, oh, what a fabulous idea. Let's let's do that. <laughs> or you're forced to pay for two Netflix accounts. And that just seems a little extreme. What we do is we do use Netflix's special dashboard, which is limited to kids' shows. You can click on a Just for Kid button um, on the Netflix interface, and then it switches to uh, a view that highlights kids' shows. For my five-year-old, that's fine. She's she's not looking for anything, so she Mm -hmm. likes it better because she can't read yet. So for her, it's great. But if you have even a slightly older kid who's like, well, I'm no kid, and hits the button, then all your recently watched videos that you, the parent, have been watching are revealed. And, you know, just a really simple Netflix search for a movie can turn up related movies that are just really inappropriate so easily. Um, And, you know, most parents don't want their kids watching Scarface at the tender age of eight or nine by accident. Well, yeah, because it's not that great a movie. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you know, content aside, it's, you know, Chino's just overacting his head off and it's, yeah, you know, I mean, I know it has cachet now among the kids, but it really is not that great a flick. A Clockwork Orange is a far better movie, although just as inappropriate. If you're going to expose your kids to inappropriate movies, at least make them the highest quality inappropriate movies, right, Chris? Exactly right. You want to raise them with some kind of standard, you know, of of inappropriate movies. So I know both of you guys have um, experience with OS X's parental controls. So are there anything in particular there where you'd say, yeah, I would love to see this brought to iOS? I would say time limits would be a great thing to have on an iOS device. In addition, you know, my, um, on our on our desktop computer at home, um, we have three different accounts on our computer: one for my wife, one for me, and then one for for our son Tobias. And he can get into that, and it's already built. It's it's built so there's time limits in it, but it also is built so that the, he only accesses the programs and apps on there that we want him to. And it'd be nice if it. You know, at some point to be able to share accounts on, um, have multiple accounts on a single iOS device so that when you handed it over your device to your, 
your child, you could know that they are looking at precisely um, the apps that that you are allowing them to instead of getting into other things. Yeah, I agree on that. I would like to see an iPad with multiple accounts. So exactly, you can just dial it in for your kids' settings, have uh, finer tuned settings, um, like with time limits and the ability to uh, filter things in Safari better. And then just say, great, here's your account, go to town and do what you like. I'm sure that Apple would prefer that you simply get them their own device and you can configure it such a way that um, that it's safe for them. But um, in, a, in households where you just have the one device or a couple of devices, it really would be helpful if they had more than one account. So, Joel, I want to talk to you about your five-year-old because um, both Charlie and I have, have older kids and... Um, you know, we've sort of been through the discussion with our spouses about what are we going to let our kids do and when are we going to allow them to do it? So what have you thought about sort of the, the ongoing plan for your kid with technology? Um, you know, I, I, unfortunately, I don't think we thought it out that far ahead of time. Um, and, he, you know, he's an only kid. And I think something we discovered when he went to preschool this year um, was that he needed a little more socialization. Um, than he had, and that maybe we were letting him have a little bit too much time um, with the iPad. And so we had to take some time where we kind of dialed it back a little bit for him because it wasn't so much the what he was doing um, on the iPad as it was just maybe a little bit too easy um, before he went to preschool because I, I'm, a, you know, I'm a writer and I write from home for me to just hand him the iPad and say, you know, go off, kid, do what you're going to do while I, you know, wrote and or did um, podcasts or those sorts of things. Um, and so re I think the thing we realized is that he, he, he got a little um, monomaniacal about about his iPad time and that we needed to kind of ease that back and help him choose when's the appropriate time, how much is an appropriate time, um, because he, he, he can stay there, on to, there too long. Uh, I think that's been the main issue that we've had is just making sure that, that he engages other parts of life um, with uh, equal fervor and uh, equal time. And what about you, Charlie? Could you tear your kids away from their devices? Well, we kind of continue to make new rules, trying to figure out what's going to work best for us. Um, we have a rule that there are no uh, nothing but educational games in the morning um, that they can only play their their you know crazy pet shop and all that kind of stuff um, mm -hmm. on the weekends. Um, we have tried a scheme where we had, okay, you have to play a certain amount of educational games to earn time playing the other games. But really, we just keep trying to figure it out. I think this is something that a lot of parents struggle with. Um, they know that they want their kids to be having quality time with the device when they use the device, but they're not sure how to balance all the options there are for the kids because kids do get totally obsessed with the devices and they can learn a lot, but they can also waste a lot of time. I think there are some parents who have just decided not to let their kids have any access whatsoever um, to the to, to iOS devices. And I think that's maybe a little unfortunate, um, not least because increasingly they're going to encounter them in school, but certainly they're a tool that just people regularly use in the course of life anymore. Um, and so to kind of make it this, this off-limits evil thing, I think, is probably a mistake uh, in, for the most part because... It just kind of makes it, uh, you know, forbidden fruit, and it's, and it's something that kids are going to 
eventually need to use their real lives anyway. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's, um, you, you can go either way. I think some parents look at this as like, well, this is the TV of the 21st century. And so a lot of parents just say, here, kid, take this, go away. Don't bug me for three hours. And the kid will just be locked into the thing, which I don't think is a great idea. But as you say, Joel, this, these are the tools that people are using now. So to simply say, no, we're going to you know, go out and build a fort, which was great you know, when I was a kid, because that's what you did. But it's a new world now. So I think trying to find a balance between the two makes an awful lot of sense. But speaking of killing a lot of time, Shali, what about social networking in your kids? Are they doing anything like Instagram or any of that stuff? I don't allow any social networking. That is that is not allowed in our house. So that, that we have drawn a line there. Are they but clamoring kids, for it though? Not at all. Not see we're lucky that our oldest kid is a boy and he's just really not interested. Perfect. <laughs> so it it hasn't come up yet. We'll see how it goes with our with our girl. The only type of um I guess you could call it social networking but it's not quite, um, that our son wants to do is there's a game called Clash of Clans. Have Mm -hmm. you guys played that yet? Clash of Clans is very big with nine-year-old boys right now. And it has messaging within the game. So you you can type to people in your clan, which supposedly you know those people, and talk while you are playing. Um, But that's it. We, you know, neither of our kids really, I mean, they know what Twitter is and they know what Facebook is because... I talk about them on those social networks all the time, and they see the pictures. But for them, that's not part of their world yet, thankfully. So we haven't had to worry about it. What about Minecraft? Oh, Minecraft. Minecraft. Minecraft is not good enough on the iPad. That must be played on the laptop, according to my son. Oh. Well. <laughs> He's a it Minecraft aficionado, I see. It's it's inferior on the iPad. So that is actually the only reason that we have um an I, we have a, a MacBook that is set up for him upstairs that he gets so he can play Minecraft or some of the games that aren't really on the iPad, like um Wizard One O One and Pirates One O One. Um that also aren't um either aren't on the iPad or aren't there in a full enough version yet but that the kids love. Okay, because my daughter was introduced to Minecraft on an iPod Touch, and that's what she plays. And so there's an awful lot of time sunk into, into Minecraft. And again, that's a, you know, I don't want people thinking that we just leave her alone with the thing. We do put time limits on the thing. <laughs> uh, but I found that among her peers, that's the big time sink. They do a lot of Instagramming, too. Uh, she's almost a teenager, and so Instagram is important. We're not going to let her do Facebook um, at this point. But that and Minecraft are really where she she digs in and spends an awful lot of time. So, um, good. I'm glad that he can only play it on the, on the laptop because I think that's easier to police. Chris, one thing we've talked about, we, we've talked a lot about kind of the ability to set boundaries um, on, on, on the iPad. I think one part of parenting... Um, that is also useful in this area of life is that we have to remember that we as parents are modeling um, for our kids as well, and so that if we get a little obsessive on the iPad or if we're 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 doing things on the iPad that we don't want them to be doing, they're going to be paying attention to that and be and be trying to get to that. And, and I've had to think a little bit about what kind of games that I play uh, and th- those sorts of things because he will get interested in whatever games I'm playing. So if I'm playing something that's maybe 
uh, a little more shoot 'em up or a little more fighting, then he 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 will he will glob onto that. And so I've kind of cut that back a little bit because I'm not quite sure that I'm ready to, for him to start wanting to you know shoot or hit everything in sight. Um, so it is one of those things that yeah I've got to choose how, what I'm modeling to make sure that uh, I'm I'm not giving him kind of a, a an entryway into doing things that I don't want him to be doing yet. No, I think that's an excellent point. I know that when my daughter started paying attention to what I was doing, I started playing word games. So uh, she and I would play Welder together, and um, she got to be really good at it. We would play Scrabble or um, more sort of physics games. And mostly I got them because I thought, oh, we could do this together, and maybe she'll learn something by, by doing this sort of thing. So they weren't strictly educational games, but they ended up being educational because of the kind of things you were doing with them. So that was okay. But in terms of modeling, I think we as technology people have a real hard time with that because we spend an inordinate amount of time working with technology, more than a lot of other families do. So how do you model that where you say, well, honey, it's my job. And so I have to do this, but you don't. And you know, if you're, if dad's on the couch mucking with his iPad for a couple of hours a night, what is that modeling for her? Right. Well, yeah, some of the times you just have to choose to maybe delay those couple hours till after, you know, child's gone to bed. You know, uh, my son has an 8 p.m. bedtime, so it's not that difficult to, to you know, take a couple hours to make sure that I'm just concentrating on, on being a non-technologist, non, um, you know, just being a parent during during those few hours I have with him during the during the early evening. But, um, you know, if I, when your kids get older and they kind of occupy more of your day than, than they already do, then that, that gets more difficult. I don't think you understand who's the biggest kid in my family, Joel. That would be me. Uh, okay, so I want to switch gears here. Um, and just for a second, Shali, you uh, recently also presented a, um, a story about literacy apps for kids that uh, they could use during the summer. I think this is for younger kids, right? Well, I actually had a collection of literacy and math apps, and they are, I would say, mostly for younger elementary kids, but there's kind of a little bit for everybody in um, both the collections. So did you have a couple of highlights in those collections? I did. Well, actually, you talking about games that you play uh, with your daughter that are sort of stealthily educational. Mm -hmm. I did have one of those in my literacy apps collection, and that's Scribble Knots, which is a really popular action puzzle game from Warner Brothers. And it's really not intended to be an educational app, but I think that it very easily can be. The idea with Scribble Knots is that you type in a word, and when you do, that object appears and then you can use it to try to solve puzzles. But the great thing about that is is that it really encourages kids to learn new words because the cooler words they can come up with, the cooler stuff they'll have. So I had my four-year-old who can't, can't read yet. She made me write down a list of all the words she wanted to use, and then I had to draw the object next to it so she would know what it was. And she would sit there and painstakingly type in bad unicorn, you know, <laughs> things like that, what she wanted to go. And I, you can't, I don't think you can argue that that wasn't an educational experience for her. She was putting out the effort to type those words in because she wanted to see them come to life. Uh, the same thing with my son. 
he'll sit there and ask me for weird words, or we even have the dictionary now right near where he, right where he can get it, a paper dictionary even, mm. since you can't multitask on the uh, on the iPad. Uh, so um, so he can look through it, and it's it's a it's a fun way for kids to expand their vocabulary without even realizing they're doing that. Excellent. And then anything on the math math side? There are a lot of great math apps, and that story was actually more popular than the literacy apps story, which was a little surprising for me, but then I realized I think uh, if there's one thing parents do worry about during the summer is that their kids are not going to get any exposure to math at all and that they're really going to fall behind. So I think a lot of parents are looking for good math apps. One of my favorite math apps is called Math Evolve, and What's cool about it is that it's kind of like um, it's kind of like an old-fashioned uh, shooting game. You are like this alien, and you're hurtling through space, and objects are coming at you. So it's like sort of like asteroids; mm-hmm. they're coming at you, but numbers are also coming at you. And the idea is you have to steer yourself into the correct numbers to form an equation. So you'll have to hit the twelve. And then you'll have to hit the 10, and then you'll have to hit 120, which would be their, if they're multiplied by each other, that's what you'd get. And um, so it's got a storyline. You're trying to, um, you're trying to evolve into a, a cooler and cooler spaceship, and it makes the math part of it seem less fake, mm-hmm. less, less. Um, it seems more like it's a game than it is a way to trick you into doing math problems. And um, it also takes some of the pressure off of it. A lot of math games are are about making you go faster and faster. And you can easily set Math Evolve to a slower speed, or you can adjust the speed, you can adjust the level, so that it isn't as, um, as nerve-wracking as a lot of the flashcard-type games are. So that's one I really recommend. It's, it's actually fun. Wow. I didn't think math could be fun. For, <laughs> For little kids, my daughter's she has two favorites. There's Monkey Math School Sunshine, which is uh, they had a monkey preschool. I think was the original version of this, which was really silly. It has like a monkey that like jumps around and goes when you do something right. Um, but they have two new apps now, and uh, Math School Sunshine is one of them, and it is more um, more like school. You know, it's like pop the bubbles with sets of three or, you know, trying to get kids to recognize amounts of numbers. But it's really cute. You, uh, like, help a baby turtle reach the sea by, you know, tracing the, the numbers in order, one, two, three, four, five, all the way to the ocean, things like that. And then what's most motivating about it is that you win points as you get right answers and then you can use those to decorate an aquarium mm-hmm. and i don't know about your kids but my youngest child is highly motivated by rewards systems like this and she'll sit there obsessively and answer questions um, until she gets enough points and she's learned a ton from um, monkey math school sunshine one of the other things that she really likes which is different it's a different kind of math game is the Wildcrats Creature Math, which is based on the Wildcrats show from PBS Kids. I don't know if you guys are these the Krat brothers. Kids that, 
the Krat brothers, exactly. Oh, Zubumafu, yeah. <laughs> it is, it's a really cute game. It combines um, some of the aspect of the pet shop, pet hotel type games that are really popular where you um, sort of like collect animals and you decorate your space. Um, it has some of that, but to um, to earn points basically so that you can set up these habitats, you have to answer math equations. And one of the nice things is, is they give you a lot of different ways to figure it out. There's a number line, so you can count along the number line to figure it out. They have little cartoon Wild Kratz Brothers throwing, like, flies back and forth. And that helps you figure out, you know, what is four plus what equals six. You can add and subtract the flies until you figure it out. But then you also have the part of you're making a habitat. You make it the way you want. And then you can, like, pet the animals. And it's a cute game. And so you're learning about animals while you're practicing basic equations too nice <clears throat> well i know my daughter absolutely adored the cat the Krat brothers early on when they were doing this boo boo foo uh things and i think they had a couple of other specials that you get through netflix um so i'm glad they're still in business yeah those are great apps for for little littler kids for for older kids there are the core things like khan academy which you can get on the ipad uh, which is much more school-like. You watch a video about a certain topic, and then you do a quiz. You know, it's more of a school-type um, approach to learning. But the Khan Academy is very deep now. There's more than 4,000 videos, It's and mathematics is really its specialty, although it also has a lot of other topics now. So that's a good resource for older kids. Okay, and then for I also, adult nerds, they have like yeah. the Wrath of Khan Academy, or is that? <laughs> well, for adults, to tell you the truth, it's actually a it's a great it's a great resource. They have a lot of cool stuff like about Fibonacci sequences and you know fun um, math mysteries that are some of them are really cool and worth checking out. For adults of a certain age, I think one of the best things about the rise of the iOS platform has been the. Glorious, glorious revival of the Oregon Trail games from the 1980s. So let's not forget oh, about yeah. that. So that's it's uh, no longer just green and black. It's uh, in full glorious color, and it's uh, has has just as much dysentery as you uh, dys- dysentery as you remember. So um, that's a wonderful <laughs> educational thing. <laughs> yeah, I haven't really talked about dysentery to my daughter very much but apparently i should get started on that. you should get started i i will right after we finish this podcast honey avoid dysentery like dysentery uh shally do you have one more i have one more that i have to always plug because i really feel like it's one of the best educational resources that are out there right now um for kids using ipads and that's brain pop i don't know if you guys have used brain pop BrainPop is awesome. BrainPop is, um, it's a website originally, but they do flash-based, uh, flash-based videos every single day about some sort of social studies, history, health, um, science, math topic. And the videos are really, really funny. And you can access them on your iPad uh, by getting the BrainPop featured movie. If you just want to see the movie of the day, 
it's a free service. If you want to be able to look through all the videos that they have, which are hundreds and hundreds of videos, then it's a little pricey. It is a, it's a $99 a year mm-hmm. for a subscription. But we sprung for it because both our kids, even the five-year-old, love it so much. And my, my nine-year-old will sit there and he'll just listen to the movies about all artists one day. He'll get on a tear through a topic and you can really just learn um, about a big group of subjects all at once. And the videos are really funny. It's um, a robot named Moby and uh, the straight man, Tim. And so they they are able to present content content in a really age appropriate but um, but deep way. Like they really are able to explain topics, but keep it so that kids can still understand it. And I, it's one thing that we really enjoy in our family, all of us. Cool. Okay, um, I want to jump over quickly to the classroom because Joel, about a month ago, you wrote a story about Apple and textbooks how it started and where it's gone. So first, what's the background on Apple and textbooks? Well, you remember about a year ago, uh, Apple had a very big, big event in which they basically kind of declared that they were going to be attacking the educational sector with vigor um, using um, iOS. Um, One of the things they did, of course, was they kind of reintroduced the iBook store. Um, and also iBooks Author at that time was, was the big thing that they introduced, um, which was to let people create their own textbooks and then upload them to the iBook store to, to share their knowledge with people. Um, since then, um, the iBook store has grown slowly. I don't think it's grown as fast as maybe Apple had anticipated or, or, or wanted, but it is, it is definitely growing. I think there's uh, something on the order of 11,000 books in there now. Um, and But... Uh, when I was talking to schools and to, to educators and to, to textbook publishers about it, uh, I, I, it seemed like everybody was kind of waiting on the other other side to get the market developing. Uh, that schools were saying, you know, there just aren't enough textbooks out there available for us, uh, particularly uh, like at the, at the uh, middle school level or below, because the textbook creators are concentrating on the college market to get started with. And then when I talked to the textbook publishers, what they said was. Well, we're waiting for enough of a market to develop to really start, you know, really start concentrating resources this way. I think we're starting to see kind of that critical mass develop on both sides where you're going to see a lot more of this in the next year. But it's still it's still very much an early work in progress as far as uh, iBooks and and e-textbooks on the iPad go. Yeah, you know, it does seem like a chicken and egg situation. So publishers are waiting for more iPads to be in the schools, and schools are waiting to buy iPads because there aren't enough textbooks. So who blinks on this one? I mean, who needs to lead this charge? Well, I think it's the educators. And and, and I think the good thing about the platform that Apple has created is that it does not require the textbook publishers really to even be part of this process. Uh, the thing that was really interesting to me as I, as I developed the story was how much um, schools are using um, iBooks Author uh, to, to create their own materials. Uh, in, in some cases, uh, you remember you know those mimeographed sheets that your teachers used to hand you when you were in the school. Mm-hmm. Um, iBooks Author is kind of the 21st century mimeograph where, where people, where teachers will aggregate their own sets of articles and, and exercise sheets into something that they just distribute in-house. Uh, they don't necessarily have the copyright <laughs> uh, 
permissions for that. So they distribute it in-house, um, and they don't distribute it on the iBook store. But that's it's kind of an in-house aggregator that they use. The the other thing that's happening is increasingly what you see is the not only are the teachers using an iBooks author, but a lot of schools are handing iBooks author over to the students. And iBooks author is how they're creating presentations and how they're synthesizing and summing up what they've learned. And so you, you really see that kind of more than anything where this is, this is becoming useful is on the student, the educational side where, where it's, a, it's a, almost a grassroots thing as opposed to waiting on uh, industry to, to, to come through with the, the product that we need. Well, I wonder if industry really is going to come through because you know that publishers make a lot of money on paper books, particularly college texts, where they're, you know, hundreds of dollars for some of them. So what motivation do they have to issue an ebook version that's, you know, maybe 20 bucks? Well, I think it's it's kind of like I mean we see the same thing you know in the in the journalism and in the newspaper industry where where it's it's easier to sell lucrative ads in print same as in the newspaper industry the audience is going to digital products it's going online um, more and more people expect to receive their instruction and their information through digital products and if the textbook the textbook manufacturers and the textbook publishers. Uh, they see this. They realize that they that they're going to be left behind if they if they can insist on continuing just to make you know basically buggy whips for the audience because because students do need to learn how to use these tools um, and they're going to expect to be able to use these tools in schools. Okay, well let's. Um, I'm going to ask both of you to put on your prognosticators hats. By the time our kids grow up, what is the classroom going to look like? Well, I would think. For sure, a lot of homework and testing is going to be going to be done on computers or tablets. Uh, if my son's school is any indication, already a lot of testing is being done on computers, for the simple reason that it saves the teachers time. And our class sizes are enormous now in in Oregon. And teachers just don't have time to grade stuff. So if things are on the computer, they can they they get to skip that step of, of having to grade things. It can be automatically feedback can be sent to the kids at least on simple things where you either get it right or you don't, like math problems or true and false, right? Multiple choice sort of things, which a lot of what kids do now is that sort of work. And Joel, any thoughts? Yeah, no. I think one thing that I've heard from from educators as they go forward is that there's a possibility, and nobody wants to say this too loudly right now. And actually, when I when I did this earlier story, Shelley and I talked about it a little bit because it's, it it didn't seem quite right to us. But that we may increasingly see schools turn to kind of a bring your own device uh, philosophy, where where students are going to be responsible for for bringing what they can into the classroom instead of the schools issuing them because you know schools all over the place public schools certainly uh, are having budget issues all the time I live in Philadelphia and, and you know there's a they're they're firing assistant principals and 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 teachers aides all the time so you know the idea of spending a lot of money on instructional technology is is anathema to what's going on here um, so you might see a lot of districts say, okay, we, we need students to have this technology, but, but we're not going to give it to them. And so 
If if that happens, what you'll see is kind of a platform agnostic uh, classroom, so that one student might be bringing an iPod Touch, the next student might have an iPad, the next student might have an Android tablet of some sort, um, depending uh, on what can be afforded. And so, uh, from that standpoint, the the iBook Store and the iBooks author may not have such a, a great future because the school districts are going to go for whatever is cheapest and and very and it seems likely that going with a range of devices and letting students bring their own to school might be very helpful to school districts if not the students themselves i think we're seeing that in some schools where budget isn't a problem and mainly i'm talking about well-heeled private schools where they do have these bring your own device or the school purchases things like iPads for all the students and they do tend to work from apps that have been approved and not really educational apps but things like the iWork apps and the iLife apps for for iOS um so yeah I do think that's kind of where we're going that the computer lab is gone instead we have whatever devices that the kids have at the time they bring them in and, and kind of use it on a universal platform so it doesn't matter if you're on android or ios or you know, sensors are plugged into your brain by that time it's all going to be just content and it doesn't matter how you access it yeah see i don't know i think this is this is a big question that we have how this is going to shake out because the fact is is that in a, in a lot of school districts, kids can't even afford their own backpacks. So how in the world are they going to afford to bring some kind of device with them to school? Um, it's it's fine in, in wealthier neighborhoods, as we have fewer and fewer wealthy neighborhoods <laughs> across the country, for um, for kids who already have this stuff at home to bring theirs. It's, it solves a problem. But the fact is, a lot of places, kids don't have access to these devices, and the school is going to be the place where they get the exposure that they wouldn't get anywhere except for maybe at the library, where they might be playing games on the library computers, um, or at school. So I, I don't I don't really know about the, the bring-your-own, uh, the future of the bring-your-own device, unless we see uh, a lot of... Um, nonprofits or someone stepping in to, to give grants to the schools where kids can't afford this. Because like I said, a, a lot of kids, I know at our schools, we have a bunch of programs to make sure that every kid comes to school with a backpack filled with school supplies. And that's a big deal. Or, you know, kids that can't afford food, that there are other programs where they're taking food home in those backpacks supplied by the school. And, you know, just in terms of equal access to these tools and equal access to learning about technology, I think that's going to be an important issue in our country over the next couple of decades, for sure. I think it's possible you yeah, can see I something like the free lunch program um, develop, you know, where, where students who achieve or their families achieve certain income levels, maybe they get so much assistance towards buying these devices for the kids. If they're just ex extremely poor, then, then, then the school buys it outright. But that it may become kind of a more of a, of a sliding scale income based thing rather than just we're going to hand out these devices to everybody. Yeah, well, it does take a fundamental change in the way we view education and how much we're going to support it, and then also how schools are going to be allocating their money. So if textbooks are no longer viable because they go out of date and there really are better resources that are electronic, maybe you shift some of that money there, and as you say, a better distribution of, of money among districts. Um, I think a lot of parents now going 
through the educational system understand that the public schools are broken in so many ways and that uh, something really fundamental has to change in order for this to work. I mean, I know the country's got lots of other problems, but this one is just going to contribute to future problems. And hopefully somebody gets an idea about this and starts supporting it. And so with that very serious editorial at the very end of this, I would like to thank Sholly and Joel for being here. Thanks, both of you. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. And that wraps up this edition of the Mackerel Podcast. I'd like to thank Sholly Sawyer-McFarland, Joel Mathis, and, of course, you for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to drop us a line at podcast at mackerel.com or you can leave us a voicemail at 415-967-3622. This is Chris Breen reminding you that you can find more Apple, macOS, iOS, and technology news, views, and information at mackerel.com. See you around.